If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 693. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. You can also click on that super thanks button under the YouTube video. If you're watching on YouTube, you can click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. Or you can go to anchor.fm and subscribe there. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. McClanahan Academy is always the best. You get great content and you keep this podcast free of charge. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always... Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. When I say rate it, give it that five stars. Comment on YouTube. Helps the algorithm. Do all those things to get people looking and listening to the podcast as they're searching their podcast app and looking for a great podcast. They can find this one. And share their podcast around on social media. Everyone likes to hear what you want to hear or what you are listening to. So that's a great thing, too. And send me those show requests. I like to read what you want to hear in this podcast. Keeps it fresh. This is a listener-generated episode today. I had this link sent to me, I don't know how many times, but it's an op-ed in the New York Times, and I've seen a lot of people talking about this, an op-ed in the New York Times last week, and again, I subscribe to the Times, so you don't have to. But this, uh, this uh, piece in the Times is interesting, because essentially it says, look, let's scrap the Constitution. Now, I'm going to talk about this and back up a little bit, and then move forward. There are several years ago, I think it's probably almost a decade ago now, when I wrote my Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution, which, by the way, is a great book. If you've never read that book, I consider it my best. The Founding Father's Guide to the Constitution. Um, it is a one-volume summary of original intent. I go through and look at all the ratification debates, all the public documents that were produced. It's a condensed version of my originalist papers class at McClanahan Academy, which is a great series of classes. If you haven't taken that, you should be taking that to get the original meaning of the Constitution. But... When I, when I published that book, there was a Twitter troll who asked me some questions, and I responded. And at the end of that, I made a statement that the Constitution that was produced was a bad Constitution in a lot of ways. And it was his gotcha moment. See? You are against the Constitution. You're against it. You don't really believe in the Constitution. You don't believe in that at all. Well, I mean, I don't in some of the things the Constitution does. I think the Constitution was a mess of compromises. And I think that the ability for the nationalists to interpret it and distort it is a real problem. The Tenth Amendment has no teeth, for example. Original intent, which is James Wilson and all the proponents of the document, where they swore that the states would be secure from the general government, has never panned out in a way it should. And this essentially is the entire battle that we've been fighting in the United States in 1789. Why? Because we have nationalist innovators, like the people that wrote this piece at the New York Times, 
who want to simply do an end around what the Constitution does. Now, what's interesting about this piece of the New York Times and a book by Noah Feldman, The Broken Constitution, which they cite in the piece, is that essentially they all concede that originalism is the correct way to interpret the Constitution. They concede it. They've conceded the field. Yes, if we're going to go by the Constitution, then we really don't have a leg to stand on. We're going to lose. So what they've said is, let's just scrap it. We're just going to scrap We're not even going to follow it anymore. We're not going to pretend to follow it anymore. Though, I, of course, I can make an argument they've never really followed it. And they haven't really pretended to follow it either. We're not going to pretend to follow it. We're just going to go around it and pretend like it doesn't exist. right? So this is an interesting debate because essentially what it comes down to is a real discussion of American constitutionalism. This is a healthy thing to do in society, to talk about American constitutionalism. I was uh, preparing for the next, not the next class at McLean Academy, but the next class, the one after that. The next class at McLean Academy comes out this week. And so you're going to want to get that one, Radical Republicans. It's coming out. I'm going to talk about it in a podcast. You're really going to want that class. And essentially, the Radical Republicans were doing the exact same thing the modern left does. Okay, And, and I'll get into all that when I talk about the class. But the, the next class is a class on Jefferson Davis, the one after that. And he made a, an interesting point in his Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government when he said, he actually quoted a New York newspaper that was discussing the Confederate Constitution. And the New York newspaper said, look, this new constitution from the South is pretty good. Why don't we just take that, use it as a basis for amending the current constitution. It would solve all the problems in America, and we could move on from there. Now, of course, one of the things that everyone would be aghast at is there is the Southern position on slavery, where they explicitly use the word slaves and Negro slavery and these kind of things. So that would have been a, a dramatic change in terms of the language of the Constitution, but the powers of the general government would not have been altered in regard to that institution very much at all. In fact, really not at all. The thing that would have changed, though, would have been things like prohibitions on federally funded internal improvements, right? prohibitions on protective tariffs. These are the kind of things that would have changed. The ability for the president to be elected only once with a six-year term, a line-item veto, there were some real innovations in that Confederate Constitution that people today would probably be happy about because the president, for example, you'd have Joe Biden for six years and he's done. You would have had Donald Trump for six years and he's done. There wouldn't have been any of this, well, Donald Trump's going to run again. Is Joe Biden going to run again? No, they get one six-year term and that's it. It would remove, it would take this problem off the table. Or Obama telling the Russians, look, I can't do anything right now, but once I'm through this election cycle, we can do whatever we want. You see, the first four years of a president's two terms, if they get two terms, are often dedicated to being very restrained. Uh, they're not going to do stuff because they know they want to run again. So it's, it's all revving up for the next election cycle. And then the last term, they kind of do what they want, uh, particularly if Congress is on board with them. But usually what happens in that last term is Congress has then turned to the other party so they don't really get to do anything. So wouldn't a one-term so one six-year term be better than what we have now? You see, the thing is, oh, the line-item veto. Back in the 90s, the Republicans in Congress gave Bill Clinton a line-item veto, a real line-item veto. And, of course, it's unconstitutional. The Congress can't create that power out of thin air. So the Supreme Court invalidated it. 
But wouldn't it be better instead of executive signing statements or all the other nonsense they use, they just have a veto that the Congress can then override? The Congress could then look at this and say, no, no, we really want this. It would, it would put uh, the power back in the hands of the Congress to override a, a signing statement? Or how about the fact that the Confederate Constitution mandated earmarks? Every single bill had to be for a specific purpose. You couldn't have omnibus bills anymore. It had to be this amount of money is spent on this, and then they identified it. There were some real improvements in the Confederate Constitution over the U.S. Constitution. Why? Because these men, in 1861, when they drafted the Confederate Constitution, had about 80 years to look at the U.S. Constitution and figure out where things went wrong. The Tenth Amendment had some teeth in it. They added it into the Confederate Constitution, and by doing so, they essentially made nullification a possibility. They didn't explicitly come up with a, with a uh, plan for nullification in the Confederate Constitution. That was left out. But, uh, so I think it had a defect there. But certainly, it was, a, it was a tighter and stronger Constitution than what the founders produced in 1787 and then ratified in 1788. It was a good, a solid constitution when it came to limitations on central power. So these kind of discussions are actually very healthy to have. We, we need to talk about American constitutionalism. In Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, the last part of the book, I provide several proposed amendments thinking about what could we do to make it to where we could limit executive power. One of the things I talk about, you know, is the amendment process, that it's a lot harder to amend the Constitution than it should be. So I agree with these leftists that amending the Constitution should be a little bit easier, right? Not a lot easier, but a little bit easier. Should go maybe 60% rather than the higher percentages are required to do it now, two-thirds or three-quarters, right? Maybe 60%, three-fifths. So that might make it easier to do some things to the Constitution. Maybe. I mean, I think we need to have these discussions. And look, the founding generation realized that constitutions could be changed and amended. They all thought it. And that's how they thought the Constitution would change, through, through the amendment process. It wasn't just going to be willy-nilly, we're just going to do an end-around. And that's what these professors are also proposing to do, because they know they really can't amend the Constitution. So having this discussion, again, that we're, I'm having today, and then talking about constitutionalism, this is not something that we should be afraid of. What I find interesting, of course, is the knee-jerk reaction from conservatives in looking at this, and, oh my gosh, you're going to talk about changing the Constitution. The, 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 the way that we look at the Constitution is sacrosanct, right? It's, it is, uh, it's, it's almost like um, you have to spread you know, holy water on it every day and think it's great. I think there's many problems with the U.S. Constitution many problems with the U.S. Constitution. Things that are left out. Look, original understanding is fine, but if there's no enforcement mechanism for the Tenth Amendment, all that goes away. And this is what Jefferson and Madison realized with the Virginia-Kentucky resolutions. It's what Calhoun was getting at with his disquisition. There needed to be an enforcement mechanism. There needed to be a way for the states to block unconstitutional federal laws. And to prevent the general government... And this is the other catch, right? To have a negative over state laws. 
that would have that would have sunk the Constitution if that was actually proposed. Well, it was proposed if it was ratified at the Philadelphia Convention. And in fact, John Rutledge of South Carolina said it. If anything ought to damn the Constitution, it's that there should be no federal negative of state law. But that's what we've gotten into, right? I mean, this is this is the issue. We've we've allowed for a federal negative of state law, and this is not something that the founding generation thought should happen. It's something the radical Republicans thought should happen. They did. Uh, And so that's a transformation of the U.S. Constitution. And this is what we really deal with more than anything else today. It comes down to that. Look, can the federal government negate a state law when we're talking about the culture war? This is the issue. The states are supposed to reflect the political culture of the people there and the culture of the people there and the values and traditions of the people in those states. And they were supposed to have a wide range of powers the police powers, in other words, to do a whole lot of things that now the general government has said you can't do. Why? Because some other person in some other state might have this power. That's not how that privileges and immunities clause was sold. It's not how it was interpreted when the Constitution was ratified. So we need to be very careful about that. But let me get into this piece, and I'm going to one of these days, I'm going to review that the Noah Feldman book, The Broken Constitution. I have it sitting on my shelf, but I haven't had a chance to go through it in detail yet. But I'll talk about it. I know what he says in it, so I'll mention it here as I get to that part of the piece. But this piece is written by Ryan Dorfler and Samuel Moyne, who teach law at Harvard and Yale. These are law professors, and they're essentially admitting, look, we can't fix the Constitution. We can't fix the Constitution because our view of it is not going to work. He says, they say, when liberals lose in the Supreme Court, as they increasingly have over the past half century, they usually say that the justices got the Constitution wrong. But struggling over the Constitution has proven, proved a dead end. The real need is not to reclaim the Constitution, as many would have it, but instead to reclaim America from constitutionalism. So, They're saying, look, forget about the Constitution. We need to get away from constitutionalism. Now, this is an interesting argument because essentially what they're saying is we don't need a written Constitution anymore. We need an unwritten Constitution. We need a British model. We need to go back to a position where, uh, and and by the way, not even just a British model. I'll, I'll say this. They don't even want a British model. They don't want the courts to have any oversight of what Congress does. They want unlimited power in the House of Representatives, essentially, and that's it, to do whatever the will of the people wants. So this is extreme majoritarianism, because you think about that. If the, if the House is really the only governing body, right? I think they would even cut the power of the presidency down to limit the power of the House. If the House is the only governing body, and this is why they want to do it, because they know In their mind, they have a numerical majority, and so they could do anything they wanted. The states become irrelevant. The Senate, they just want as a council of revision. The president, the courts, all that becomes irrelevant. You have unchecked power from a bare numerical majority. That's it. Now, that's extremely dangerous. But this is exactly what these people want. They don't want any limitations on their ability to pass whatever legislation they want. That's the real problem. And constitutionalism, whether it's a written constitution, as in the U.S. model, 
or an unwritten constitution, as in the British model, would present a barrier to that. Because in the British model, at least you do have the backstop of the courts to say, yeah, you can't do that. Essentially, that's what we've done in the U.S. now. We have a written constitution that nobody follows, that nobody even tries to give any lip service to anymore, unless you're out of power and it's just rhetorical. And then we have the unwritten constitution, which is the court system that looks at all the legislation Congress passes and the states pass, by the way, and then they revise it. Or they say, you, you can't do that, whatever it is. So we've gone to the British model in America, even though we started with an entirely new order, a written constitution. All the states have written constitutions. We have all these things. And that provides a written structure of government, but not limitation on the powers of government. That's, that's something we have to understand. The written constitution is no block on the powers of government anymore because nobody follows it. So they continue, the idea of constitutionalism is that there needs to be some higher law that is more difficult to change than the rest of the legal order. Um, that's a really a bad definition of constitutionalism. I guess you could say that. Some higher law? I mean, that, that term higher law comes right out of the Republicans of the 1850s. William Seward saying there's a higher law than the Constitution. So to have some supreme law, I think the best word is some supreme law. It's more difficult to change. Uh, but even when you look at states, right, there has to be some structure of government, some definition of powers. I think that's a more accurate interpretation of constitutionalism. There has to be some definition of powers. Now, in the state model, the states have unlimited powers except what is prohibited by the document. In the federal model, only the powers defined are allowed for federal exercise, right? That's James Wilson in the State House Yard speech. So you have two different ways of contending with this idea of constitutionalism, but um, this idea of a higher law, I mean, it's, that's kind of a distortion of what constitutions are. Having a constitution is about setting more sacrosanct rules than the ones the legislature can pass day to day. More sacrosanct rules. I don't even know if that's the right. I mean, these are law professors. and uh, Yeah, so you have a structure, but, but have sacrosanct rules? Sacrosanct meaning, I mean, sacred? Religious almost? I mean, you're talking about a secular religion. This is Lincolnian. You see, there's all this Lincolnianism in this stuff, right? Republicans, Lincolnianism. That's why I'm doing the class on radical Republicans. When you get that, when you understand the basis of all this stuff, you realize and you say, gosh, this is a nightmare. Look at what the Republicans have done to America. It is horrible. It's horrible. This isn't even a good understanding of what, constitutional, what the Constitution is. And these are law professors. This is scary. Our Constitution's guarantee of two senators to each state is an example. And ever since the American founders were forced to add a Bill of Rights to get their handiwork passed, national constitutions have been associated with some sort or some set of basic freedoms and values that, trans, that, that transient majorities might otherwise trample. So the Bill of Rights is okay in their mind. They're, they're forced to add a Bill of Rights to their, get their handiwork. The argument against the Bill of Rights, I think, is very powerful, and I wish people had listened to it. Because the Bill of Rights creates all kinds of problems in American constitutionalism. It essentially led to the, and this is what opponents of it said, look, if you add a Bill of Rights, you're going to say the general government had these powers to begin with. 
and now they're limited. You're, you're flipping originalism on its head. And so the Bill of Rights have been a problem from the beginning. But regardless, we don't even read the preamble to those either. These were limitations on the central government only. Everyone knew that. Everyone knew that. But again, it opens the door to say, well, if we say the central government cannot deny freedom of speech, well, then it could under the original Constitution. And this is simply not true. It's what Roger Sherman said. It's what James Wilson said. It's what Alexander Hamilton said. It's simply not true. But constitutions, especially the broken one we have now, and that's where we bring up Noah Feldman's book, The Broken Constitution, where he argues essentially, again, that the original Constitution was antithetical to what the Republicans wanted in the 1860s, that it was not a national constitution, that it was a federal constitution. All the arguments the Democrats made in favor of the original constitution were correct, but then we had a refounding. It's the same thing that essentially you know, Eric Foner is saying in his new book on reconstruction of the constitution. This is the leftist position. Now, all these conservatives were right, but what we've had is a refounding, and there's a new constitution, and that new constitution is in line with the way we view the constitution. I don't think they're necessarily incorrect in that. It's just the Constitution never changed. So what's happened is interpretation has changed. And when you get into radical Republicans, when you get into that class, and you're going to get it, and you're going to want it, I talk about that. There's actually a speech I go through where the individual says, our interpretation of the Constitution is the Constitution as it is. Right? Because you had the Democrats at that time saying, we believe in the Constitution as it is and the Union as it was. Well, the Constitution as it is by that point, this is 1863, is the Republican interpretation of the Constitution. That's the real Constitution, our interpretation, not yours, you see. So that's the one that moved forward. I'll get it. I mean, the, that class is so good when I go through that stuff. It's amazing what these people say. The constitutions, I'll read this again, especially the broken one we have now, inevitably orient us to the past and misdirect the present into a dispute over what people agreed on once upon a time, not on what the present and future demand for and from those who live now. This aids the right, which insists on sticking with what it claims to be the original meaning of the past. So, look, if we talk about the old constitution, the right is basically correct. The left is now, this is amazing, is conceding the field. Okay, originalism, yeah, you have a stronger you have a stronger argument. We don't really have an argument in originalism. We can't. We don't have one at all. We're conceding the field. So what we have to do is openly say, we're not going to even agree to that anymore. We're gonna we're going to and again, they've been doing this for years. They've been playing a different game on a different field while the left is the left is playing football, the right's playing baseball. Uh, you know, the right, because it has rules and traditions and structure. And, and But football changes all the time. The game of football, now baseball has changed too, don't get me wrong. But the game, but it, it's a little more tied into tradition and the, and the long-standing rules than football ever has been. Or basketball. I mean, they change the rule basketball all the time. Right? So th what the left wants is that kind of game where it can just change. And of course, in football, you just bulldoze your opponent. Baseball, a lot more, it's it's... It's, there's no time limit. It's just, there's no time limit. Football has a time limit. Right? It, there's so many things about this. George Carlin did a great skit on that years ago. And it's true, right? But this is the way we look at American, the American Constitution. It, it comes down to that. 
So what's happened is, of course, the left is now conceding the field. Okay, you've got your baseball game. We're not going to play baseball anymore. We're just going to play football. Again, they've been doing this for years. But they're saying it openly now. You play your baseball, we're going somewhere else. We're taking our ball and leaving, and we're just going to run around you. Aiming for war over the Constitution concedes in advance that the left must translate its politics into something consistent with the past. But liberals have been attempting to reclaim the Constitution for 50 years, with agonizingly little to show for it. It's time for them to radically alter the basic rules of the game. Now, it's almost as if these two law professors have been listening to me for years, because I've been saying this is what they've been doing now for over a decade. Right? It's what they've been doing. Now, of course, this podcast has only been around since 2016, but I've been saying on this podcast for now, what, six years? I was saying it in books before this point and on other things. This is another, in talks, this is what the left has been doing. It's amazing that these people are now openly admitting it. In making calls to regain ownership of our founding charter, Progressives have disagreed about strategy and tactics more than about this crucial goal. Proposals to increase the number of justices, strip the Supreme Court's jurisdiction to invalidate federal law, or otherwise soften the blow of judicial review frequently come together with the assurance that the problem is not the Constitution. Only the Supreme Court's hijacking of it is the problem. And even when progressives concede that the Constitution is at the root of our situation, typically the call is for some new constitutionalism. So the problem, we're playing, we're trying to play the rights game. They're saying we're trying to play this this game with the Constitution, and you know what? We're going to lose. We're going to lose. So we need to just play a different game. They've already been doing this. They're just saying the part out loud that they've been doing since I don't know the middle of the 20th century, anyways, or even before that. But really, since the middle of the 20th century is when it's gotten worse. Okay, and. Uh, starting with the FDR administration. That's when it started getting worse, and then you move into the 1950s and 60s and 70s, and you have uh, all of the uh, the the uh, Warren Court. And, I mean, it's it's uh, the Constitution has gone, you have Hugo Black, of course. I mean, you have all this stuff happening. And that's when the Constitution really began to change in the way the court interpreted it. Since the Supreme Court began to drift right in the 1970s, you see, uh, before that point, it was okay because it was on the left. And this is <laughs> this is Brennan and Warren and all these guys, right? I mean, it was okay when it was going to the left. But in the 1970s, you started to see a little bit more of a lurch to the right. By the time you get to the 80s, you get the Rehnquist Court. And then, of course, it really starts pushing to the right. And uh, and, and conservatives figure this out. I mean, what, what Republicans, if the Republicans have done anything intelligently... It's, they said, okay, if the left is going to play the game where they're going to use the court to go against everything in the Constitution, we'll just put our guys on the court on all the federal benches and we'll cut their power. And that's what the left is going ballistic over now. They've lost that game, at least for the time being. So they want a new game, right? They want to create a new game. So what's happening now is that the, the, the original Constitution, the right controls that game. The court game, the right now controls. So they want to create a whole new game, another game entirely, another new game. And if the right controlled that one, they'd want to create another game. <laughs> Since the Supreme Court began to drift right in the 1970s, liberals have proposed better ways of reading the Constitution. 
The conservative Federalist Society engaged in a successful attempt to remake constitutional law by brainstorming ideas, creating networks of potential judges, and eventually helping to guide the selection of President Donald Trump's nominees. It was revealing that liberals responded by founding in 2001 an organization called the American Constitution Society, which produced the book Keeping Faith with the Constitution. And when liberal law professors got together in the mid-2000s to dream of a different America, that yielded the book The Constitution in 2020. But since then, with the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the consolidation of right-wing control of constitutional law, and the overturning of Roe and other disasters this term, the damage has only worsened. So, you know what the problem is? They've won. We're going to take our ball. We're going to go somewhere else. We tried to create these things, but nobody paid attention. Why? Because your, your ideas are stupid, and nobody really wants them. And all these lefties are upset. They're screaming at the sky right now because they've been defeated, at least for the time being. <laughs> so if, But they do control one thing, and that's the House of Representatives. They control that. And if they could con keep controlling that, they could control the entire government. So this is how we're going to do it. One reason for these woeful outcomes is that our current Constitution is inadequate, which is why it serves reactionaries so well. Starting with a text that is famously undemocratic, so they've conceded it, progressives are forced to navigate hardwired features like the Electoral College and the Senate, designed as impediments to redistributive change while drawing on much vaguer and more malleable resources like commitments to due process and equal protection, resources that a conservative Supreme Court has used over the years to invalidate things like abortion rights and child labor laws and might use in coming term to prohibit affirmative action. So the problem is, you know, all these things that we relied on, which that due process and equal protection, all that stuff we used in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s to our benefit. Now the right has figured out how to use it to theirs. So this is not good. This is not good. You know, you got all these undemocratic things in the Constitution. We got it. That that's not good either. We we've we've got a situation where that stuff is preventing us from doing what we want. Sometimes reclaiming a Constitution is presented as a much-needed step toward empowering the people and their elected representatives. In a new book, the law professors Joseph Fishkin and William Forbath urge progressives to stop treating constitutional law as an autonomous domain separate from politics. In contrast with earlier efforts among liberals, which, as Jediah Purdy put it in a 2018 Times guest essay, put forward a vivid picture of what judges should do with the power of the courts. Such exercises in progressive constitutionalism call on Congress and other non-judicial actors to claim some amount of authority to interpret the Constitution for themselves. Now, this is amazing. So, in other words, it's not just the courts that can interpret the Constitution. Maybe Congress can interpret the Constitution. Well, they've already been doing that, right? This is Nancy Pelosi. Hey, where is in the Constitution? It's constitutional because I say it is. They've been interpreting the Constitution for years. This is stupid to think that the Congress doesn't already do that. They pass whatever they want. They don't even talk about the Constitution. They're doing exactly what this piece says they should be doing. They've been doing it for a long time. But I do agree there needs to be some other group of people that could interpret the Constitution and offer a backstop, and that would be the states. You see... Nullification, interposition, these are real things that could solve some of the problems. Calhoun's concurrent majority could really solve some of these issues. Because unless you get essentially a supermajority to pass a piece of legislation, you're not going to get it. But what that would mean is that the states could do just about anything they want to do. So all of these things that these lefties wring their hands over could be done at the state level. It'd be amazing. You see what we're... 
The left has gone kind of quiet on some things about Dobbs. I mean, I know they they mention it here. But what they've decided to do is, okay, we're just going to go confront this issue at the states. They had their big win in Kansas, right? Ooh, well, maybe this is actually the way forward. Maybe we could get some of these things at the state level. You have Julie Louis-Dreyfus working with uh, Slate or some magazine, some salon, something, to try to put money into state races to try to get uh, the, the Dobbs decision uh, where they know that this comes down to the state level. They're trying to get this enforced at the state level now. They've just all realized this all just goes down to the states then. Right? So they can try to work in the states. Now, that makes it to where you got to have more money. The more decentralized you get, the harder it is for all these non, for all these, uh, you know, all this money, this soft money to go different places. This is what Hume talked about in the Ideal Republic. You diffuse it out enough, and you can't find any concentrations of wealth to try to push uh, all of this uh, special interest money. They say it's a breath of fresh air to, wit- to witness progressives offering bold new proposals to reform courts and shift power to elected officials. But even such proposals raise the question, why justify our politics by the Constitution or by calls for some renovated constitutional tradition? It has excited a terrible price and distortion and distraction to transform our national life into a contest over reinterpreting our founding charter con- consistently with what majorities believe now. It's a terrible distortion and distraction. This is awful. Because we're sitting here talking about, does the Constitution allow this or not? We shouldn't be putting any of our energy into that. No matter how openly political it may purport to be, reclaiming the Constitution remains a kind of anti-politics. It requires a substitution of claims about the best reading of some centuries-old text or about promises said to be already in our traditions for direct arguments about what fairness or or justice demands. And then this is the one of the interesting lines. It is difficult to find a constitutional basis for abortion or labor unions in a document written by largely affluent men more than two centuries ago. I agree. You can't really find it there. It is difficult because it's not there. It doesn't exist. Right? These were things left to the states. It's amazing. He almost stumbles into federalism. So it's difficult because he's talking about national life, national. We don't have a national life. We have a federal Republic. What they're doing is essentially stumbling into the real answer to all of this. They just don't realize they're doing it, and that's the problem. It would be far better if liberal legislators could simply make a case for abortion and labor rights on their own merits without having to bother with the Constitution. Well, you know where you can do that? At the state level. Just saying, right? You can do that at the state level. You can have these arguments in 50 states across the United States. By leaving democracy hostage to constraints that are harder to change than the rest of the legal order, constitutionalism of any sort demands extraordinary consensus for meaningful progress. Uh, that would be, of course, the concurrent majority make that even harder. But then again, you still see they're forgetting that one part of the whole building block, which is the states. You know, want to know why? When the founders talk about the ratifiers and the framers talk about democracy, what they're really talking about there is the states. They looked at the states and said, the states are too democratic. We've got to cut that down with the central authority somehow. They're recognizing the states have always been more democratic than the center, and they wanted to have some way to protect the center from the states. And, and that became the federal constitution. But the states re- retained this democracy, whatever they wanted to do. The states retained all that. So if you really want democracy, go to the state level. 
It conditions democracy in which majority rule always must matter most on surviving vetoes from powerful minorities that invoke the constitutional past to instruct a new future. I mean, can you say this is exactly what it should be doing? The central authority should be doing these things because you don't want some lunatic left? Or if you're a leftist, some lunatic right passing legislation that's going to be dangerous to your security, your future? So why don't you have it on the state level? Hey, there's a real novel idea. Why don't we think locally, act locally? Real novel idea. After failing to get the Constitution interpreted in an egalitarian way for so long, the way to seek real freedom will be to use procedures consistent with popular rule. It will not be easy, but a new way of fighting within American democracy must start with a more open politics of altering our fundamental law, perhaps in the first place by making the Constitution more amenable, amendable than it is now. In a second stage, though, Americans could learn simply to do politics through ordinary statute rather than staging constant wars over who controls the heavy weaponry of constitutional law from the past. In other words, we can't control the original interpretation because they've got that locked down. They win, so we got to go around that. If legislatures just pass rules and protected values majorities believe in, the distinction between higher law and everyday politics effectively disappears. Well... This is essentially Seward saying in the 1850s is a higher law than the Constitution. What they're doing is just regurgitating the higher law doctrine of William H. Seward from the 1850s. I know that the Constitution, it's the Republican argument of the 1850s. I know the Constitution prohibits everything we're talking about. But you know what? There's a higher law than that. And we can do things beyond that because there's a higher law. What they're saying is, what these two dopes are saying is that there's a higher law than the Constitution. It's the will of the people. It's a higher law. You don't need the Constitution. Just the will of the people. One way to get this more democratic world is to pack the union with new states. Doing so will allow Americans to then use the formal amendment process to alter the basic rules of the politics and break the false deadlock that the Constitution imposes through the Electoral College and Senate on the country, in which substantial majorities are foiled on issue after issue. Substantial majorities. I don't know if the current House is a substantial majority. It's a pretty slim majority, right? I mean, you've got almost just 50% plus one. And we know in the Senate, it's the exact same thing. So, uh, substantial majorities? No. No, not substantial. They're using language here that's simply not true. But they want more states. So, pack the union. The, the link there goes to a piece... Uh, by Harvard Law Review, admit new states, proposal to admit new states. I haven't clicked on the link, but that's what it is. Um, so I mean, getting more states, well, I mean, in some ways, more states would be more in line with, uh, you know, smaller is better. But in that way, you would need, so they want more states. What they want to do is break apart these leftist states, but you would also create conservative states too out of that. You want to get new states. Well, then conservatives have a, have a case to be made to break off parts of California and create new states. They would want to break up Texas. Uh, they would want to break up some of the conservative states and create you know, little liberal states out of those. But you could also do the same thing with conservatives, too. I mean, you can't keep California intact. You can't keep New York intact there. There's part of New York that's very conservative, or Pennsylvania. Some of these northern states that could break off and get two conservative senators out of that. Or a new state that have to do something. You can't, I mean, I don't know if their dream of more states would help them or not. I don't think it would. But, regardless. More aggressively, and this is where they could just create a whole new ballgame. They're going to play kickball now. Congress could simply pass a Congress Act 
We are organizing our legislature in ways that are more fairly representative of where people actually live and vote, and perhaps even reducing the Senate to a mere council of revision, a term Jamel Bowie used to describe the Canadian Senate without the power to obstruct laws. So Congress could just pass a completely unconstitutional law to reorganize the entire general government, and that would solve the whole problem. Now, they talk about what's going to happen there. In so doing, Congress would be pretty openly defying, would be pretty open. Think about the language. In doing so, Congress would be pretty openly defying. I mean, did a 13-year-old valley girl write this? Congress-like would be pretty openly like defying, like the Constitution. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. It would like pretty openly defy the Constitution. To get a more democratic order. And for that reason, would need to insulate the law from judicial review. <laughs> so they need to make this beyond judicial review. They need to insulate it. They, this is a fantasy world. So what they would do, what they would have to do is, this is, this is the leftist playbook. Make it to where the Supreme Court has no jurisdiction to review federal law. To cut that jurisdiction. Then they could pass legislation that's completely unconstitutional and nothing could stop it. That's their fantasy. They've just admitted it. We don't want any check on the power of the House of Representatives, essentially, to do whatever it wants. And, of course, the Senate would have to be involved in this. So you'd have to get that 50 plus 1 while Joe Biden's in office, you know, Kamala Harris, to say the Senate has no more power. Has no more power to do any of this. And what they would do in this... Council of Re this this uh, new Congress Act is they would create new districts right they would redistrict everything so you might have uh, districts they would take the ability of the states to create these legislative districts maybe the districts cross state lines maybe they do something like that so you would be changing the entire structure of the federal government with a piece of legislation and the Supreme Court would be powerless to stop it but I'll tell you what would happen. Uh, this is where the states would have to get involved and say, nah, we're not doing that. You're, you're not doing it. And how are you going to enforce it? How are you going to enforce it? Fundamental values like racial equality or environmental justice would be protected not by a law that stands apart from politics, but as they typically are, by ordinary expressions of popular will. See, these people really believe that their leftist program like environmental justice is something everybody in America wants. They ignore the fact that usually these things go down in flames. Usually. Unless they're foisted on America by a razor-thin majority in Congress that represents um, you know, just a slim, slim population to get this. Most people don't want this stuff. And the basic structure of government, like whether to elect the president by majority vote or to limit judges to fixed terms, would be decided by the present electorate as opposed to one from some foggy past. What they want to do is rip out entire, the entire tradition because they know they're not winning right now. So they're pouting. They're throwing a fit. They're little two-year-old, uh, terrible two-temper tantrum right now. They're not getting what they want. So they just want to redo everything and openly say, now we're changing the entire ballgame. We're going to change the whole thing. we got to do it. And you know what? We're not going to get it through the amendment process. We're not going to get it through any kind of, we're just going to make it to where we're just going to pass a law that will do this. And then we're not going to let the courts review it. A politics of the American future like this would make clear our ability to engage in the constant reinvention of our society under our own power 
without the illusion that the past stands in the way. This is an open assault on tradition. It's also a concession that they can't win based on tradition. And they're now saying what they've been do- saying out loud, what they've been doing for 50 years anyways, which is playing a whole other game on a whole other field while the, everyone talks about the They've been doing this stuff, right? They've been passing legislation that's blatantly unconstitutional for years. It's just they don't even like the courts to even review it anymore because they might lose because the courts now are on the hands of supposedly of the right and they're going to lose all this stuff. You see, that's the issue. When they felt confident the courts were in their hands, they didn't care. But now the courts might be in the hands of somebody else. They care and they got to do something about it. All right. This is a really interesting piece. It was fun to talk about uh, and it was a great... I went really long on this one because it was so good. But anyways... Uh, i got a new class coming out this week. I'm going to talk about it in the podcast this week. You're going to want to get it. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.